Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. We need to uh, we need to stop talking about the playoffs straight up. Like we just can't say a word about it until they're done. Because, or we need to strategically talk about the playoffs based on what we want to happen. Because as we saw in full last episode, Tampa Bay immediately reversed what I was saying about them. Legitimately, as we were recording, the LA Kings laughed in the face of us talking about how dominant Edmonton was over them. Yeah, but we also said Edmonton would be undone by their goaltending and defense, and here we are. As Connor McDavid duly pointed out, wild playoffs. Nothing makes sense. I love it. No. Yeah, maximum chaos. Yeah, the Washington Capitals were winning tonight 3 nothing when I left my house to come here. Florida is currently up 4-3. For Hagee, man. It's all those former Leafs. Speaking of superstars, Evan mm. finished a round of golf today. Oh, yeah. Heard there was an ace involved. Not me. (laughs) (laughs) It was. I've never. I've never played in a group with an ace when an ace happened. So it was. It was nuts. The guy I was playing with was playing so bad. He had a nine on the first hole, and I could not get anything together. And he's a pretty good golfer. And we get to the seventeenth hole. It's the hardest par three on the course the green is ridiculous and they tuck the pin right at the front and there's a massive slope off the front so if you don't don't hit it long you're dead in the water he goes up over the ball hits the nicest high drive ever seen from an amateur player and then it was looking good the whole way i was like oh my god this might go in and it takes one hop in the hole <laughs> you'll get there buddy Oh, I'm not. It was just cool to see one. I've never seen one before. Uh, Evan is getting about as much luck on uh, a hole in one as the Red Wings are with their draft lottery. So Detroit's uh, Detroit has gone through yet another draft lottery. Didn't move back, so that's nice that that happened again. But Detroit's drafting eighth. Uh, New Jersey is adding their fifteenth first over or top two pick to their team or something like that. Just about. They're the new Edmonton. They're Edmonton East at this point. We're not bitter. We're not bitter. We're not upset. What, what was it I, we've been saying all week? You can't kill what is already dead. And yet, I was still disappointed. You haven't been paying enough attention then. No, certainly not. It's a coping mechanism. Yeah, no. I I think for the live stream, my, sh- my reaction was so... There was nothing to it. I, I felt like I should have faked something for entertainment value. <laughs> It was, uh, yeah, it wasn't, it shouldn't have come as a shock to anyone. I think it's just painful to see, I think it's just painful to see a team win it so many times. Like, they, anyhow. Yeah, well, it's not like the other team that won a draft lottery spot, too, was in the cup finals last year or anything like that. (sighs) I was told this stops tanking. We were told a lot of things. If you're New Jersey, why do you not tank every year for like eight years just to stockpile top two picks? At, at this point, hope that uh, wherever you're picking next year is there's a goalie in that range and then go from there. Anyhow, we'll talk more about the lottery. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to do a little bit of whining about the lottery and a lot of conversation about who the Red Wings might pick at eighth overall. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. 
On this episode of the Wing Wheel Podcast, we'll be taking a look at what happened with the draft lottery, the odds going in, what the results were, and what this means for the Red Wings, because they are going to have quite a few players definitely in that range that are going to be intriguing, and depending on who drops, this could still be a really interesting spot for Detroit. Uh, we'll be talking about the news of Moritz Sider being nominated for, uh, as a sorry, coming up as a Calder finalist as one of the top three guaranteed in votes uh, in uh, Rookie of the Year voting. And we'll be talking about the news that dropped shortly after we published the last podcast, which is that Barry Trotz is now a free agent, which isn't the New York Islanders coach that a lot of people thought were was going to be leaving the team. That happened since last episode? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good God, I have lost all concept of time. I know. Yeah, I, I, I hardly know anymore. I have to check the date to know that whether this is a midweek or a weekend episode. Oh, my God. Yeah, we talked about it on a live stream, not an yeah. episode. I forget everything I said yesterday. That's for the best. Now we're going to repeat it for the episode. Beautiful. Uh, we'll be talking about the playoffs and how they've gone. There's a couple notable storylines. And depending on time, we might do a uh, prospect profile today. Uh, before all of that, I want to, again, thank everyone for your support of the Jamie Daniels Foundation uh, with the calder voting to be released soon we're almost at the end of this season of wings money in the board fundraising which is an initiative that we started in uh conjunction with our good friend prashant Iyer, uh and it is a an initiative to raise money for the jamie daniels foundation by pledging uh donations based on what the red wings did or have done or will do this season last season whatever so the remaining ones are regarding Moritz Sider and whether he wins the the Calder Trophy, but a lot of you made donations based on like how many hits Tyler Bertuzzi had or how many points Lucas Raymond had or how many losses the Red Wings had by three or more goals or whatever you want it to be. And through this, we have raised, and with the Winged Wheel podcast nights at the LCA, um, over $29,000 so far this year. So thank you all so much for your support. JamieDanielsFoundation.org to find out more uh, and offer your support and uh, more to come on that soon. The 2022 NHL Draft Lottery. I hope it's the last one we have to care about. Just, you know, rebuild aside, it is soul-sucking to walk into these things with a 12%-ish chance of anything good happening and then having to watch that obviously not come to fruition. So the odds for the lottery in reverse order uh, to win, and these are the teams that can win um, the, to move up 10 spots because that's the maximum. Vegas, Vancouver, Winnipeg, the Islanders, Columbus, San Jose, Anaheim, Buffalo, Detroit with a 6% chance of getting first overall and a 6.2% chance of getting second overall, Ottawa, Chicago, New Jersey, Philly, Seattle, Arizona, and Montreal. And the final results were that New Jersey moved up to the second spot with an 8.5% chance of doing so. So they won yet another lottery, and Montreal uh, won the draw for the first spot with you know the improved odds that they gave the, for the worst team in the league this year. So Montreal retains first overall pick for the draft, which is happening at the Bell Center in Montreal. Rigged. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, lots of people. We, we saw a lot of courses of that. You see that every year. Uh, and the Red Wings stayed eighth. So it is notable that they didn't move down to ninth or tenth. Their most likely pick was eighth, 54.4% chance of that happening. So initial reactions. I have none. This is exactly what I was expecting. Like, we did not win with 
better odds. So with the odds decreasing, you knew it was going to happen. Like, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't think it was rigged for Montreal, et cetera, et cetera. It's just, it stacked against teams. Like, they changed the lottery. So teams that aren't in the bottom five have, like, basically no chance of winning. Because, you know, in typical Detroit fashion, when we were in the bottom five, um, we had great odds to move up and it never happened. And then now that we're no longer in the top five, they're like, yeah, you know what? We should wait it more for the teams that are in the top five. And, you know, it's just the way it works. Cool. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like who, I I just, I have a very hard time really caring. I only cared for like, 20 seconds before they flipped over what ended up being the Red Wings card because it was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. oh, and then, oh, yeah, they flipped Buffalo's card and it was Buffalo. Then I was like, all right, all right, yeah, you, I think that's the best way to approach it. You know, statistically, the pain is going to come. And I think with Red Wings fans, there's been such a story of at best Detroit hasn't been demoted. Like that is legitimately the most that the Red Wings can speak for in the draft lottery is that through the worst era in decades for the Detroit Red Wings and with a lottery system that is supposed to help the lower end teams, the worst teams, they have at best not moved down further, often have moved down further. So for Detroit to stay at eighth was a win and that's sad. We, um, what is it? If you count draft lottery falls and expansion teams jumping in front of them, the Red Wings have cumulatively, cumulatively fallen nine spots since they missed the playoffs. In and around there. I think Ottawa has had similar bad luck or Vancouver or something. Ottawa's at least won a third overall. Yeah, that's right. Which isn't great, but it got him shoot, so so fine. Yeah. Um, It might have been Vancouver, but still, yeah, Detroit's net, Detroit's net is heavily negative one of the worst in the league detroit last i checked was the worst that no team had fallen more and whatever that's i understand there's a huge amount of luck that goes into that because there's other teams that have favored under the systems just ask new jersey uh-huh. and you know it, it's meant to be random um and you know in a bunch of the years the red wings fell it actually worked in their favor it's how they ended up with lucas raymond and mo cider and that's the takeaway so it, it's fine. And the more we dive into this draft, eighth overall, there's going to be a, a really good player available no matter what. Um, it is what it is. I was honestly hoping more for Columbus to win the lottery because I really wanted to see that chaos. Um, what was it? Yeah, Columbus jump up to number two because that's where the ultimate chaos of the draft lottery could have come in. And then Arizona won and fell. That was it. St- and, and people didn't realize that that was a possibility. So yeah, I think it was a Columbus beat writer who actually asked. They're like, wait, what if this happens? Yeah. And then had to get clarity from the NHL that goes, yes, if Columbus wins the first draw and Arizona wins the second draw, Arizona would actually fall a spot. And I I read that four times when I think it was, I forget who posted it, but I read it four times. I'm like, that can't be real. Yeah, my brain hurt trying to read it. I, I immediately wanted it to happen because I think. It was but that is something that can only happen in the NHL because the NHL is the only league dumb enough to go. No, yeah. Rather than giving them pick one if they win it, um, because Columbus technically would have won the first draw, but could only move up ten spots. Congrats, Arizona. Montreal's getting first. You get third. <laughs> and so Detroit could have won a draw and then gotten third as well. There's a zero point two percent chance of that happening. I'm actually shocked it didn't. 
Anyhow, so the Red Wings are drafting eighth overall. Montreal retains that first pick and has the opportunity to draft Shane Wright at home in front of their crowd. And then, um, yeah, at least Shane Wright gets to play in an NHL building next year. New Jersey has the opportunity to draft either Slavkovsky, Cooley, or if they want to go off the board, they absolutely can. I wouldn't even call it necessarily off the board. This draft is tighter than most, especially up top. I think there's only real separation, significant separation between Wright and the rest. And then you might have a tier of two or three guys at two and three. Anyhow, players who might be available for the Red Wings. I think this is really interesting. Yeah, because I appreciate... Uh, Bob coming out and doing uh, an immediate quick draft rankings, which only went to seven. Yes. Thank you, Bob. And the NHL for all their graphics would cut off the thing at seven. Mm-hmm. Like, listen, I get it. We're not invested in the draft lottery that much anymore, but just purposely cutting the Red Wings out of everything right at the cutoff all night was getting a little tiresome. <laughs> it's, it's shocking that the Red Wings for the season that they had from December onwards were only the eighth worst team. Right. Oh yeah. This this whole illusion that the NHL has parity is died a long time ago. Parity in the NHL isn't about seasonal, like it, within a season. It's about it's about yeah. Ever it's cyclical. Yes. Now all these teams that are really really bad out of the bottom ten, seven of them will go through a rebuild and then have like a run of like five to ten years of success. Yeah. That's all it is. And then you know Boston and Carolina and whoever at that time they're like, oh my god, we're terrible now and. So let's let's take a look at who might be available for Detroit. Let's assume the top three picks are likely going to be uh, Shane Wright, Logan Cooley, Uri Slavkovsky. Something in that order-ish. Maybe Slavkovsky goes second. Mm-hmm. Of the following players, at least three will be there for Detroit. Nemec, Kemmel, Juracek, Savoy, Nazer, Minchikov, Lambert. And I'm leaving a lot of guys off that list too. Like the options for Detroit that would be reasonable go far beyond that. But think of that. Three of Nemec, Kemmel, Juracek, Savoy, Nazer, Minchikov, and Lambert will be there for Detroit. There's a real opportunity for them to get someone like Matt Savoy, who some people think has game-breaking talent and skill. There's an opportunity for them to pick up maybe a Juracek, whose injury might scare people but could be a force to be reckoned with in terms of what he can do on a blue line. And, you know, n- not thinking about where Detroit's depth chart is right now, could slot in as a, as a top pairing D-man in terms of his his overall ceiling. They could end up with Nazer, and I think that's not unlikely at all, who could solve their top six center issue. There's a lot of opportunity for Detroit here. Which of those guys stand out to you? And let me ask... Within reason, what's your preference here? And what options do you think will be available for Detroit? I would have told you you're out of your mind if you think Matt Savoy is going to be available at eight. And then McKenzie dropped his list and a bunch of other guys dropped their rankings. And oh my God, Matt Savoy might be there at eight. I, If he's there, there shouldn't be a debate about who to pick. You should run to the podium to draft Matt Savoy. Even if he doesn't play center, which he might, he is so talented, you can't not pick him unless you're someone else of significance falls like a Nemec or a Juracek. And then, oh my God, now you have this great wealth of riches to choose from. But for me, yeah, uh, Savoy would be the guy that I I would key on if he falls because he is... You know, uh, my comparable for him 
is and, and probably will continue to be Matt Barzal. So if you can get something like that at eight, my God, how could you not do it? When was the last time a skilled player dropped to uh, closer to the bottom of uh, the top 10 and so many teams passed on him? Nylander, Caulfield. Seagrass. Seagrass. Yeah. All, and almost all the same concerns. Sure, they're skilled, but how's their defensive game? They're not very big. It's always the same garbage. Barzell fell to 16. Boston teams, Adam. Teams <laughs> galaxy brain the shit. Because there's, you know, you could look at someone like Brad Lambert and go, yeah, all the skill in the world. But dude ain't scored anywhere. Legitimate concern. Matt Savoy, you look at him and go, dude's got all the skill in the world. Uh, he's the best player on the best team in the WHL. And he has produced everywhere he's played. Oh, because he's five foot nine, that scares you? Okay, have has nobody learned their lesson? Remember when Dylan Strom got picked ahead of Mitch Marner because he was six one? Frodo took the ring to Mordor. <laughs> Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> nice of you to back Brad in his uh, advocacy for short kings. <laughs> yes, this is a short king appreciation podcast yeah. now. But it it happens so often, and yeah. nobody learns their damn lesson. And it's not like every small player always will be good despite their size. That's not it at all. Like those, the concerns of can a small player be effective in a big, strong, tough NHL, like those, those concerns aren't unfounded, but when a player is doing things like what Matt Savoy is doing, I tend to agree with you that, yeah, have the concerns, but you kind of have to look past them if they had that amount of skill and talent. When you're looking at top five, 10-ish level talents, the hits far outweigh the misses. Sure, when you get into the, the second round guys, the you know, just to pick up one from recent memory, Logan Stankovan. Yeah, okay, we're not talking about that level of talent. We're talking about Nylander, Marner, Barzal, Cole Caulfield. Like, yeah, like Alex DeBrinkett somehow made it to the second round. Ridiculous. Like it happens almost every year, and it's gonna keep happening. And if it happens with Savoy. The Red Wings should be all over that. Like, even some of the rankings that have... There's rankings that have Nazer outside of the top 20. Listen, I understand draft uh, rankings and prospect profiles are very subjective. I can't wrap my head around those. On on talent alone, Nazer's top 10. But it's... But yeah, so if the Red Wings want to be the beneficiaries of this, it looks like they may have the opportunity to do so. Considering the players that might be there, Evan, uh, let's say not Savoy, but let's say it's, you know, Nazer, Lambert, who could project in as centers, but then you have a Juracek, who a lot of people would have a tier you above. You still have Lambert in that category, huh? Um, I've kind of come off it, honestly. The I think the conversation has to be had because yeah. I, I have a lot of uncertainty about Lambert. I really do, and I have a hard time thinking that he is someone that is just misunderstood and everyone's wrong about it. Where there's smoke, there's fire, so I, I, I do still have quite a bit of concern. But you can't deny that, if you look past it for a second, the ceiling is sky high. Yeah, the, the talent is obvious, but it's been a lot of not non-production for a couple of years now. Okay, let's let's maybe remove Lambert from the equation. You have a Nazer who could be a center solution, but then you also have a Yurchek who a lot of people would say top five, maybe top four level talent. If not for the knee injury, you'd be talking about him in the top three, maybe two, right? So we'll send him to Robbie Fabry's knee guy. Who apparently doesn't do a very good job. That's a joke. 
but I think <laughs> poor Fabry. Anyhow, do you make a consideration there about the fact that the Red Wings already have a premier right-handed defenseman and then go for the center solution? Or do you say, no, I'm, I'm taking this guy who I view as a step above? I just take who's ever best player available. You're still like, there's not really a the center. Red Wings are still shit until these players play any games in the NHL. I will continue to stand by that. Yeah. The one position where I'd say the Red Wings probably have enough depth in to not really worry about it in the draft at this point is left D because they have the guy in Edvinson and then about seven very good options everywhere else. You can absolutely justify picking guy based on positional need because for right D who are the sure bets they have there to be good top four defensemen, Mo Sider end of list so yeah you can absolutely justify you're a check elite scoring wingers that are coming up in the red wing system you have okay and <laughs> elite centers you have coming up through the red wing system yeah no, just don't even make that joke yeah there, there's so many holes you don't know where to patch first it, like we we joke about best player available but the, the red wings being so bad and having picked so many left defensemen in recent memory, um, do have the ability to just go up and be like, yeah, screw it. We like this guy. We're picking him. I And fully justify it. I tend to agree. There's something about finishing eighth in the draft lottery that has moved me back from the center discussion. Though I will say what we talked about earlier where at the tie break you take the center just because yeah. the Red Wings need something else. It's just now I have so much uncertainty about this draft. I don't even know what tiers players are in anymore. Like I'm zeroed in on Frank Nazer for good reason, but am I over inflating him? And does he even touch the same tier as Yerichek or Nemich? I think the argument could be had um, with Yerichek, especially because the knee injury, we haven't really seen him since. Right. So we don't know. It's probably fine. Guys heal from these injuries all the time, but it's a concern. Where, where positional value should come in here is if you have, I'll take two forwards just for the sake of argument, Kemmel and Nazer, and you have a talent rating out of 100 on them, and they're within like two or three points of each other either way, okay, yeah, tie goes to the center because you're basically in the same ballpark, but if Kemmel, you have him as a solid 10% better, okay, you take Kemmel, like based on your rankings, like don't overthink this take the best player we were been talking for two years the red wings might trade bertuzzi well if they trade him that's a giant hole we don't know what Zadine is going to be who's the only surefire winger the red wings have if they trade bertuzzi Brana, Brana, raymond you're talking about top six yeah, yeah Brana, Brana raymond. raymond cool two big holes there still bergeron could be bergeron could be a guy soderbloom could be a guy both of those guys have ranges anywhere from first line to third line yeah. so um, yeah, there's no certainty there. Um, and both of them shoot left. Uh, Kemmel's a righty, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, even if you view Nazer and Savoy as wingers, okay, well, they both shoot right. Yeah. There's going to be a need behind Raymond there. Or hell, maybe they're good enough ahead of Raymond. Who knows? You never know. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I want people to understand that, yeah, the preference is going to go to centers here because that is the biggest need. But, you can't sit here and say the Red Wings are fully set at any position, even left D. You still need like a few of the guys to hit. I think we can say Edmondson will hit. Johansson and Wallander look like good bets. 
Sabrango, Vero, they look like, yeah, they, they could be guys. And Wallman looks like he is a guy. Okay, the odds are they don't need a left D, but it but if Nemich is there at eight, you kind of have to. you kind of have to take him unless like someone else crazy good has fallen. There's there's a multifaceted aspect here to it. It's like yeah, you want to build a team, but it's not like you build a line. It's not like you're drafting a fantasy team. Like every year you you take the next yeah, position. You're not, you're not building the hamburger. You don't need to get the lettuce now. You don't need to get the tomato now. For Brad, you don't have to get the onion now. <laughs> Like you never can, get the onions. You, you just keep stockpiling patties. <laughs> That's right. If if you got a bunch of like premier beautiful patties, better than you're just like fast you get food. Get that wagyu if it's there. A hundred percent. And then the other aspect to it is okay. Yeah, now you have an imbalance in terms of what you have coming up the pipeline, and you know Dylan Larkin is the only center that you can really speak to confidently in the top six. Then it's Steve Eisman's job to figure out how am I going to fill in these you holes. Trade one of them in a first for. Jack Eichel, there we're done. You're, are you making a trade? Exactly. Are you dealing them at the prospect phase to pull in other prospects? Are you trying to make a big splash in free agency? Are you grabbing a bunch of unreal line driving wingers to the point where you have an atypical team structure where yeah, you only have one, maybe two real top nine centers, but then your wingers are absolutely insane and that's who drives your line, right? Like there's there's not one way. To put this together, and there's what is it? Not one way to bake a pie, more than one way to bake a pie. I don't know. I'm missing your food analogy. You got to put it in the oven, so there can't be that many ways. Your your food analogies are better than mine today, but yeah, there's it, you can't follow one prescribed path, and that's why you kind of see Eisenman laugh a little bit when people ask him about like which step are you on in the rebuild or like what is the next move, and he's like, oh, shit, I don't Finished know. Finished <laughs> eighth last in the NHL. We're still on fire. <laughs> yeah. So that's a big long thing to say. Anything can happen, especially at eighth overall. Yeah, Detroit doesn't have the luxury of drafting Shane Wright, Logan Cooley, Slapkowski. Somebody falls every single year. Exactly. I I know it hasn't worked out super well relative to the rest of the draft, but remember how stunned we were when we got Zadina at six? Yeah. Like, all year leading up to the draft, why are we even talking about this? It's not an option. Yeah, he was like the I think he was like the bolt on number two. Three. 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 It was yeah. it was Darlene, Svechnikov, and then yeah, Zadina right. with a bullet at number three. And then Kachuk moved up late, which I mean credit yeah. to Ottawa, honestly. Yeah. Um anyhow, we'll be talking a lot about who it might be. If you have a, a guy in mind that we didn't even mention Casper or Lakaramaki, if you have a guy in mind where you're like, Yeah, could this be it? The answer is yes. And we'll probably talk about it. Okay, let's move on to uh, some other Red Wings news. The Calder Trophy finalists were announced today, uh, and that is Maurice Sider from Detroit, uh, as well as, to no one's surprise, Michael Bunting uh, from Toronto and Trevor Zegras out of Anaheim. Let's first talk about Sider. Not a shock. Odds on favorite to win. Unless you're getting it deep into the mentions with a Leafs fan or a Ducks fan, most people will say, yeah, this is Cider's year. Um, but still, initial reactions after this season Cider had for Detroit. Calder. <laughs> Mo for Calder. That's it. That's Cal- the whole he's, thing. He's, he's the winner. Anything else is wrong. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> there, like we lean into the Michael Bunting memes because it's funny, mm-hmm. and um, it's funny. And we should continue, and we're going to continue because he's a hundred years old. But I don't. Ca- I know I've said this on record before, and I'll say it again. I don't care that he's twenty six and all that. If he's eligible for a rook 
to be a rookie. He's eligible for the Calder. And if he has the best season, okay, give him the Calder. I don't care. Those are the rules. Follow him. Uh, I don't want him winning the Calder because he didn't have the best season. Most Cider did comfortably. Yeah. Age be damned. He's not even in my top three, to be honest. Bunting? Yeah. Bunting. Yeah, he's somewhere in my three to six range probably. But whatever. What He had a good year. Like It can still be more impressive that someone younger than him – had a very similar season, a la basically seven other rookies. Yeah, if if age is your tiebreaker, that's fair. I'm uh, I agree with you that the eligibility is the eligibility. I think it's a I think it's a the little el- silly. The the rules of the eligibility are stupid. Like they need to be changed because a 26 year old should not be allowed to be considered a rookie. But if these are the rules, abide by. But. Um, over to Cider, yeah. The season he had, the season he had playing on this Detroit team, the season he had with Danny DeKaiser's as primary line mate, if not Jordan Osterley, like you're talking about one guy who is absolutely not an NHL level defenseman and another guy who on a good day is a seventh D man. And that's what he is on most teams. And Cider had the season he had. Um, Bunting and, and Zegris, I understand both of them. Look, I, I think it's, I think you should be able to measure age in the performance. Yeah, Bunting is eligible. I'm not disputing that. I do think you're right, Evan, in that, you know, what Lundell did or what Zegris did or what Swayman did. Like Raymond. Raymond, exactly. Raymond had six less assists playing without Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews. One's a heart, probably a heart winner. One's a Rocket Richard winner. One had a career year. And one's, what, seven years younger. So if that's your tiebreaker, sure. I'm not even saying tiebreaker. I think it's fair to make this evaluation in terms of, yeah, six fewer assists. Maybe they didn't get, they weren't tied on performance or even pick someone who's further out than Raymond. I would personally move them up based on that because it's harder to do at 18, 19, 20 years old. But Bunting did have the raw numbers he did produce. He did have a great season. And at the end of the day, I don't think you can... For me, I can't leave him off my top three. I would personally advocate for Raymond over Zegers. For oh, I wouldn't. That. I think Zegers is comfortably in there. My three would have been Sider, Zegers, Raymond. I think is what I settled on. I think it's just hard to leave Lucas Raymond out of it. Yeah, he was the rookie leading scorer up until what three weeks left in the season or something like that. He bounced around like in and around the last third of the season is when people started to catch him and he bounced in and out of that lead. Yeah, which whatever, it's fine. He was one of the youngest of that group, if not the youngest of that group. Um, again, if you want to use it as a tiebreaker. But yeah, I and again, he played on the Detroit Red Wings. Yeah, he played a lot with Dylan Larkin, but uh, he played on the Detroit Red Wings. Those defensemen weren't headmanning the puck like other teams' defensemen were. He didn't play every shift with Mo Sider. He didn't play a lot of shifts with Mo Sider. Uh, didn't play the end of the season with Dylan Larkin because obviously Larkin was out. Um, didn't play a lot of the year with Tyler Bertuzzi once Tyler Bertuzzi yep. got moved off that line. Played all 82 games. Yep. Which, hey, NHL uh, media writers love to cream over durability and you know, gives it all to his game. Okay, well, both the Red Wings rookies played 82 on that damn team. That's like 182 games. Yeah. He aged. He's actually, actually, he's the same age as Michael Bunting. Now. Yeah. <laughs> Emotionally. You're right. Maybe I am a little bit hard on Zegers here. It's a tough ballot though, right? The only thing that makes it easier for me is that it's cider, big space, have an argument about whoever the hell else. I just don't want the season that Lucas Raymond had to get lost in the shuffle. Yeah. Because you don't want to be guilty of the exact opposite of what we're talking about too. Because, you know, we can sit here and go, yeah, look at what the hell Mo Sider did with 
the corpse of Danny DeKaiser attached to his hip all season. Well, Trevor Zegers didn't have a hell of a lot to work with in Anaheim either. They were a pretty bad team as well. Yeah, talk about elevating play. He really did that. But much like the Jack Adams, you don't want a coach to be punished for his team being too good to start the season. So how much do you want to punish Michael Bunting for just being, um, in this scenario, the victim of good fortune? He still had to go out there and play his ass off. So there's no right or wrong answer here. Every little bit of nuance and context needs to be taken into account. But yeah, where I fall is Zegers did, did a lot with a little. And, you know, we can talk about uh, highlight real plays. They don't matter. Whatever. They're still goals. They still count. Mm-hmm. He Those were plays he created out of nothing. Um, yeah. So like everything has to be factored in to come to your final ballot. And everybody's going to have different preferences. Everybody's going to have different... You know, Jeremy Swayman probably should have got a much harder look than he did it for this. I think Lundell should have as well. Yeah. There the were- amount of rookies this year that had high impact con- contributions to their team is just, I honestly don't remember a year where, where it was like this. Seems so pronounced, eh? Yeah. Which is crazy because what, the top six picks in the last draft didn't even play in the NHL this year until like the last two weeks of the season? Yeah. Like, Power didn't play. Beneers didn't play. McTavish played a couple games. Like We saw Boldy come in partway through the year. Like, he didn't start off. Yeah, came in absolutely on fire. Cole yeah. Caulfield finally yeah. got yeah, the if, whisper. If he had Martin St. Louis all year, Caulfield's probably given Mo Sider a hell of a run right oh, now. Oh, yeah. He absolutely is. Um, yeah, so it was a fascinating year. And, yeah, like I said, it ultimately comes down to Mo Sider, the Grand Canyon, and then everybody else. But... Yeah, no, you you could make a sound case for, I'd say, at least four guys to get those last two Calder spots. So the fact that Raymond didn't get on, yeah, it sucks. I'd probably have him on there understanding my own bias and understanding I watched him a lot more this year than I watched some of these other guys. But yeah, I'm, I'm not upset about how it turned out. It, it, it's perfectly justifiable to me. Other, um, the nominations are being released slowly. So other ones that have been, other sets of finalists have been released. The Norris Trophy for Best Defenseman, Roman Yossi, uh, Kale McCarr, and Victor Hedman. Not really a surprising list. Nope. And for Vesna, Jacob Markstrom, UC Saros, and Igor Shesterkin. A little surprised to see Markstrom on there, but we know how NHL GMs love wins and durability. I think Markstrom had a fantastic season. Oh, he had a great season. There's probably a couple guys you could have made a case for instead, but... It's fine. We we know Shesterkin's winning it. It's like, it's like the Calder. You know who the winner is. You're just kind of, who do we want to pat on the back and give a nomination to? And again, Calder with uh, Cider, Zegers, and Bunting. So looking forward to that actually being announced. Um, by the time you're listening to this, the Hart Trophy finalists will be announced. And then uh, the Ted Lindsay the day after. And then the Masterton, Selkie, Lady Bing, Jack Adams, and King Clancy Memorial Trophy. Jack Adams? Oh. I'd personally give it to Barry Trotz. Speaking of Jack Adams, great segue, Brad. Barry could a team win the Jack Adams, or could a coach win the Jack Adams while also being fired from said team? Absolutely. Don't quote me on this, but I, I have a feeling in the back of my head like that it's happened. I feel like it's happened. Bob Hartley won in 2015, 2016, Barry Trotz, 2017, John Tortorella, 2018, Gallant. 2019 Barry Trotz, 2020 Bruce Cassidy, and 2021. Oh, Barry Trotz name in there twice, huh? Rod Brindamore. Anyhow, the Jack Adams for best coach. And funny enough, Barry Trotz 
has been let go as head coach of the New York Islanders. One of the most shocking pieces of news, I think, to come down the pipeline in the last little while, everyone was talking about Lane Lambert uh, as the potential coach, the assistant coach there to leave to finally head coach another team. Obviously, Detroit, in our conversations, that was going to be at the forefront. But Lou Lamorello decided to let Trotz go. And in Lou fashion, he just, you know, could not stop talking about the details and explaining why. Every stone was turned. Yeah. Uh, No, we didn't really get a lot of information why. Um, Sorry, going to interject because I looked it up. Ted Nolan, 1997. Jack Adams and then out the door. Wow. Wait, no. Did he win then got fired? Or did he get fired and then won? Uh, He's got to do another research. Uh, It doesn't say Ted Nolan accepted the Jack Adams award in 1997, but was looking for work that same summer. So, oh yeah. Uh, seems like he was let go after. Yeah. Yeah. So what do we make of Barry Trotz being let go? The Islanders had a, a tough season, but holy hell did they have a lot going against them. And you look at Barry Trotz's body of work over, you know, past however many years, a big flag in there is uh, his win, his Stanley Cup win with the Washington Capitals. And then you also look at the kind of system, quote unquote, that he uh, deploys. What do you make of Jack, Ad- Jack Adams? What do you make of Barry Trotz, his availability and how this might factor in with the Red Wings? Because in my personal opinion, that's a no brainer to me. If he is interested in coming to Detroit, you make that phone call. Okay, so I'll try and repeat everything I said on the live stream yesterday because my opinion hasn't changed on anything. So this was this was the example I used on the live stream, and I kind of want everybody to understand this right away before I get into the rest of what I'm going to say. We all understand the Rings are probably going to be bad and not win next year, correct? What? Depending on depending on how the summer goes, provided that they aren't monumental shifts. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So one more year of at least rebuilding. Okay. Philip Forsberg's a free agent this year. He goes to Steve Eisman. I will sign an $8 million per year contract for four years. Do you sign that? I sign it. Yeah. Even though you're planning on not winning next year? Yes. Okay. So you got a really, really top tier talent, even though you probably got to wait a year or two to fully utilize it. Yeah. Okay. Barry Trotz is one of the best coaches in the world. If you, if next year you're not planning on winning, but you're planning on winning after that, but now is the only time you can sign him, you sign him now. Whatever the hell that does to the draft lottery next year or whatever you want to talk about, that's fine. You can talk about his boring defensive system all you want, which fundamentally isn't true. The Islanders actually generally were pretty high in the league in high danger scoring chances over his tenure. So it they weren't a volume shooting team, but they, they got the puck to the net with quality. And uh, let's not forget what that Islanders roster looks like. Certainly better than Detroit's, but it was not a top-tier roster that he got to the conference finals twice. Yeah, Lou built that team. And the one year, (laughs) yeah. And when he got to the conference final the one year, he lost in game seven, 1-0 to the eventual Stanley Cup champions. So the Islanders were that close. It's not like they got to the conference final and then got waxed by whoever. They were competitive. So he brings, he is a defensive oriented coach like i'm not going to argue that that is his strength okay well what was the red wings biggest problem this year ah defense right so that feels like that would be handy ah but he doesn't develop young players show of hands here how many of you are listening knew that noah dobson broke 50 points this year for the islanders i did you told me that yesterday yeah Boom, I and i'm trying to repeat everything you <laughs> said yesterday i also remember that from yesterday yeah. but so <laughs> nice. noah dobson's what nice 21 
so he he was developing uh, has a very very successful example of developing a high end young player. Twenty two, yeah, yeah. And guess what? If you want Cider Edvinson coming in next year, okay. That that I mean, he's one of the best coaches for a damn reason. If you can get him, you can get him. Now I've said all that. I do not think the Red Wings are the favorite to land him. I don't even think they're one of the top two favorites to land him. I don't think the Red Wings are in a position that would appeal to Barry Trotz. I think someone like a Winnipeg who's trying to win now make would appeal to him more, especially considering that's his home province. Um, not that Detroit would be his least appealing option. I'm not saying that either. Plus, there's reports going around Trotz might not want to coach. There's rumors he might want to get into management, so it might be all for naught. But all point being, if he is interested in coaching an NHL hockey team next year, Steve Eisman should be calling his agent every day. I will... I will contend a little bit that Detroit has to be at least somewhat of an attractive location. Yeah, yeah. They're probably middle of the pack in terms of options to him. It's not like one player makes a team, but what is one of the hardest things for a coach to have is a solid, absolutely stud number one defenseman. And you look at Detroit and they have that. So Petrangelo in Vegas? (laughs) Vegas certainly wouldn't be unattractive for sure. Although maybe he's not a glitz and glamour guy. Maybe he's more of a meat potatoes. Then off to Winnipeg he goes. Hey, they don't have a number one defenseman. There's there's enough in Detroit and he would have and not that this would really be a concern for him, but he would have the time, right? Like he would have a long, long runway and there would be the expectation when he was signed that, yeah, that first year, even though we bring you, we're bringing you in to build a better team and have them play greater than the sum of their parts, we know that's not going to happen in a year. But calling back to Eisenman's press conference where he talked about why he moved on from Blashill, one of the things he cited was he thought the overall team play on defense especially had drastically decreased. And, you know, among other things, he recognizing that the personnel wasn't the best, to say the least, he still thought that the, the team fell apart and that was the crux or the, the, the cause behind a lot of those monumental breakdowns that caused them to lose eight, nine, ten goal games. Um Barry Trotz is one of, if not the best coaches in the NHL at extracting more out of a team than anyone else. Like he can make a team greater than the sum of his parts. I mean, the team he won with Washington, the cup with in Washington, that wasn't a, you know, ultra defensive team. They won the cup with Washington. You have some high, like a high end talent, offensive talent there. And he is able to, he was able to make that team who was, supposedly out of their window come together for a championship run think of what he can do in detroit yeah he's not going to turn them into uh, like the number one defensive team in the nhl but he can instill the kind of game in them to get them to play a better overall team game and when you talk about developing players who are the most important some of the most important players that need to be developed in detroit right now like you said brad cider edvinson every defense like all those defensemen coming through you know what's going to help them develop when the team is playing great defense, that will help them. It's it's hilarious and it's it's star studded and it's so notable that Moritz Sider, you know, had the defensive season he did playing with Danny DeKaiser. But I promise you, you do not want him doing that every year of his development. That will hamper him. So, yeah, for me, even if Barry Trotz is a quote unquote defensive coach, which I'm not sure is an entirely true statement, or like at least I don't want to pigeonhole him that way. I don't particularly care. The, the results he gets speak for themselves in my mind. 
So obviously we know where the Red Wings defense is at. And as you mentioned, you know, you're not going to turn them into the best defensive team in the league, but just for a fun thought experiment, the year before Trotz got to the Islanders, do you know where they finished in the league in goals against? Fifth last. Dead last. Oh, they went from last to best that year. He literally, he literally did it. So it's uh yeah, if you can if he can turn that around that quickly, again, I don't expect the Red Wings to do that. The Islanders at that point definitely had more talent on defense than the Red Wings do currently. But yeah, the they will not be the same iteration of whatever the hell it is we just saw this year. I'll say, and and this is a subjective thing. Like I'm not gonna tell people how to think, but I will say if you at any point really wanted Lane Lambert. I don't see a reason why you wouldn't really want Barry Trot. The number one argument for Lane Lambert was he was a disciple of Barry Trotz. Why would you want Robin when Batman's available? Wow. <laughs> Not bad, huh? Yeah, wow. He nailed that. That was pretty good for 1030 at night, Brad. I'm so tired, man. <laughs> <laughs> going to do a little bit of devil's advocate here. Brad, you yourself have advocated for high event hockey fast-paced hockey hockey that lets the creative the most creative and the most adept offensive talents on detroit thrive are you not a little bit concerned that the overall team defensive game will come at the cost of that kind of high event hockey from raymond from verona from larkin from bertuzzi nope not even a little because again the islanders got chances there they were the polar opposite of what the hurricanes were the hurricanes have offensive success by volume Rod Brindamore coaches that, what I'm just saying, that high event system, everything to the net. Trotz preaches patience. You know, don't just fire it from the point and turn the puck over. They, they, but they did generate a above average amount of dangerous scoring chances. So if that is the result, okay. Will that work in Detroit? I don't know. I don't think the Red Wings have the same number of players that are capable of holding on to the pocket and and waiting for those plays as the Islanders do. So there could be problems there, but you know what good coaches do? They adjust to the team they have in front of them. Cause we talked about all the success Trotz had with the Capitals and the Islanders, almost forgetting the decade plus that he spent turning Nashville from one of the laughing stocks in the league into one of the best franchise, most consistent franchises in the league. They never got the cup in Nashville, but they never he never had good teams. He never had a hell of a lot of talent there, but they made the playoffs damn near every year after he got his hands on them. So the dude and you the Predators to the Capitals to the Islanders, those are three pretty damn different franchises in terms of construction, makeup, talent. He made it work with all of them. So yeah, the Red Wings might not be able to play the exact same way he had them playing in the Islanders, and that's okay. I have confidence that he would be able to. And again, if he goes and signs in Winnipeg and, oh, shucks, we had to sign Lane Lambert instead. Not a bad thing. Not, unless, the, not the best outcome, but not a bad thing. Unless the Isles, their plan is to bring Lane Lambert in. I saw Allison throw on the tinfoil hat today saying, what if the Islanders fired Trot so that Eisman couldn't get his grubby hands on Lambert? It's not really even that tinfoily. Like, okay, if your plan for Trotz was two or three more years – and you know it's only going to be two or three more years max, but you have Lane Lambert. 
then yeah, maybe you do move on sooner to stop them from being poached. It's actually not even that bad of a move, especially if you're confident, and I can't believe I'm defending Lamorello here, but if you're confident that Lambert can do what Trotz can do, and you know Trotz doesn't, like let's say Trotz does want to move on to management, and you know that's going to happen at any point, then why not? It's There is like a lot of counterpoints here. That's a lot of money to pay, but if you're really that worried about losing Lambert and you view him as part of your system and, and you brought him up in your coaching and management system, then yeah, you, you might want to keep him. So we'll see what Lou does. There certainly aren't going to be any leaks until it comes out because um, he'll kill anyone who does leak it. But yeah, Evan, your your thoughts on Trots versus anyone else slash is it automatic for you to bring Trots in? I mean, if Steve Eisman wasn't the GM, I'd say this is a waste of air, but he'll announce it at... 12:37 p a.m. tonight to, tonight yeah okay <laughs> no yeah like what do you what can you really say like barry trots is barry trots like if he has any remote interest in coming to the red wings you make that happen but i think there's so many other teams who are much closer to winning who'd be far more attractive there's teams in the playoffs right now who are going to lose in the first round who are going to call oh. barry trots and say come coach our team I, and we, it's a Toronto Maple Leafs. We joked about it on the stream, but yeah, let's say the Leafs do end up losing. Let's say they didn't have that comeback last night. They're down 3-2. I understand Sheldon Keefe is is Dubas's boy, but man, Barry Trotz with that Toronto Maple Leafs team. He's slashing Austin Matthews tires so that he can get out quick of the playoffs quick enough to get in on the Trotz sweepstakes. Essentially. And what I, what I want to close with on Trotz, and, and I'm sure we'll talk about him some more, is if and likely when the Red Wings don't land him, it is not the end of the world. Some of you will be celebrating that because I know some people are listening to this and going, why are all three of these guys so pro-trots? I'm anti-trot or I, I don't think he's the right fit. And that's fine. Like, I'm not saying that's it's okay. You can't, we can't all be winners. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying that's an invalid opinion, but anyhow, there are so many other coaches out there. Like, remember what Eisman said in the press conference. It was kind of like, uh, how do you want me to narrow it to one guy? There's a million out there. There's so many different options and so many different like skill sets and talent pools that we can pull from. It's not the end of the world if it's not Trotz. Could be a coach in the first round who gets fired because their team sucks. Could be. Like Sheldon Keith. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, they looked good last night. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but first, I do want to mention that this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, sponsor that gives hockey fans what we really need, even more excitement in the game. There's so many reasons why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. They're simple to use with great odds on different betting markets, giving you more action every game day. They have tons of fun and unique bet types like same game parlays and exclusive promos on the biggest events. And when you win, you get your winnings back safely in as little as 24 hours. Now listen to this. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back in site credit if you don't win that first bet. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you get up to $1,000 back in site credit. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with that risk-free bet of up to $1,000 and be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. 
You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITHIN in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia, Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-GAMBLER.net West Virginia, or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. The playoffs. Carter Verhage had five points tonight. Monster. I have absolutely no confidence based on how the Panthers have handled the, the Capitals this series that the Panthers will do what I predicted them to do and go to the cup finals. But Brad, you were absolutely right. What a fun team to watch. They're up five. Well, they won five, three today. So they're up three, two in their series. So good for them because they were losing that series at one point. Yeah. Carter Bit of a tangent mention. If you want to see someone who hasn't put up good numbers in their playoff career but gets absolutely no flack for it, Alex Barkov. But anyways, for Hagee, five points tonight. He's been a monster. That's crazy. He's kind of been a, like a monster for a while now. Like he he doesn't get nearly as much recognition. That's I mean that's a bloated because he's like the fifth best player on his team. Yeah, at best. <laughs> Um, but there's so much to be said for what Verhage is doing. Yeah, watching him turn that game around today when they were down three nothing in the second, I was like, oh my god! It's so almost frustrating because it's like Florida realizes they're Florida partway through the game, and then they're like, oh okay, we'll score three goals. Did now. they leave him exposed in the expansion draft? I don't think that was them. He went from Toronto to Tampa to Florida, I believe, and I forget the exact process. But yeah, he's cleared waivers before. Yeah, I can't remember. But yeah, the Florida team is so perplexing to watch. Every shift is different. It's Is that like an indication of coaching there? Like, No, I think it's up to the... I mean, the coach is supposed to put the players in the situation to best succeed, so maybe. Um, but every shift I watch that team, it's completely different. There's no shift back-to-back that is the, the same momentum. They and then when they remember how to play hockey, it's like holy shit! This team is amazing. I know, and they just take over the game for one minute, and they score. So they're the Jacob Verana of teams. I, I don't know what they are. Verhage was uh, not tendered a qualifying offer by the Lightning and released to explore free agency. <laughs> that's that's yeah. It's better for everyone else. Yeah. Again, and that's what like what's the playoffs all about, right? It's about doing it and doing it when you need to, right? Like finding a way to win, especially when shit isn't going your way. And so far, yeah, Florida's leading three two, but that's been a grindy three two. It could have been any. It could any of those games could have well, gone the other way. Series could have been over. Yeah, game four went to overtime, right? And Florida barely. Sam Reinhart made the most insane. He knocked the puck down, turned and released it in like half a second. Just to tie it up with like a minute left. Like it was all Washington. Washington was had all the momentum and Florida just hung on. Yeah. Who scored the OT goal that game again? Uh, it, Verhage? it was Verhage. Yeah, I was going to oh, say. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's like one of those things where you think you know that you know you know the answer, but then I wasn't sure. You could have not looked at the box score or watched that game and you knew who the answer was. You knew it was Carter Verhage. Yeah. Anyhow, that's just one of the series. Um, Toronto is up 3-2 on Tampa. That game where Tampa was leading, and then at some point in the second period and and mostly in the third, Toronto just decided that they were the better team and was shelling Tampa. Well, I I watched this game, and it happened when the Leafs took a penalty. I don't remember what the penalty was. 
So Tampa goes on the power play and Steven Stamkos is out front of the net, takes the most bizarre high sticking penalty I've ever seen. The defender basically just like headbutted Stamkos's stick and he was like, what the hell am I supposed to do about this? And after that, it was all Leafs. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'm Tampa, I'm very disappointed and they should be able to hold leads like that as back-to-back cup winners. It, I mean, it's a 2 nothing lead, so... I'm not going to sit here and say like they had a two nothing lead in the second. So I'm not going to sit here and say it's monumental that they blew it, but you know, Toronto came back and scored three consecutive goals. Tampa tied it. Eight, yeah, it was eight 17 into the third. Ryan McDonough scored what was essentially a f- hardest shot competition slap shot where he had like no one in front of him and just teed it up. But yeah, the crowd was absolutely living for it. T- Toronto was buzzing and them playing that. I was like, Oh my God, they're winning the series. Uh, well, I said that Toronto in the first game too. In. And that was the Let, kiss of death. They're leading 3-2 going into Tampa. And if it is game seven, it's at home. I'm not saying they're definitely going to win the series, but if they play like they did for the second half of that game onwards. I have such a confliction with the series because on the one and most prominent side, I wish nothing but failure and misery for the Leafs. But on the other side, they they build their team like Florida and the way that I believe philosophically hockey teams should be built. You can find fourth and third liners for nothing and pay them nothing. You can't find Matthews's and Marner's and Nylander's unless you just get damn lucky in the draft and then throw all the money in the world at them to keep them. Because I know a lot of the Leafs got a ton of flack when they you know paid Marner and all all these guys all that money. They're like, you can't build a team like that. Why the hell not? Well, last night's game. You know, their four goals came from four of their five highest paid players and the fifth highest paid player set up the the winning goal. Like they all were the stars of that game and they have all been good with the exception of Tavares mostly this series. I mean, you get game breaking talent and it took a while, but Toronto's game breaking talent now looks like game breaking talent at the most important time of the year. Well, they still have to close it out. Yeah, they won't. We know how this goes. Like everything I just said is going to be negated because Austin Matthews is probably going to literally shit his pants in the defensive zone at some point in game six. I I will give them credit. I think they look more serious in terms of what they're doing this year than they have most other years. So we'll see how it goes. I, I do believe uh, the tale is to- old as time. <laughs> the curse of the loser franchises. <laughs> the passion um carolina boston carolina's up three two looks like i mean i'm not gonna sit here and say it's automatic because the last time we talked about carolina buzzsaw boston came back and evened it up but carolina won that game five pretty decisively boston has a big hill to climb and the rangers actually just got a a very important win today to pull that series to three two pittsburgh is leading them uh pittsburgh has them still on the precipice and could close it out in game six but yeah the rangers win today was important for them um colorado unsurprisingly closed out the preds in four games uh daryl sutter the prophet <laughs> that'll be a waste of eight days well he wasn't wrong nailed it st louis up three two on minnesota that's that's going seven i think that's a tight series man that is a seriously tight series one of like people who advocate for the two three divisional matchups are salivating at that series because I think Merrick made this point. It's like, yeah, you're not getting the best on best later on necessarily. Like you might lose a little bit of that, but you get two healthy teams facing off against each other with all of their energy in the first round. 
that's a solid series. And I don't begrudge anyone who bets on either Minnesota or St. Louis going the distance, depending on who comes out. out. Calgary, Dallas. Game five is happening right yeah, now. Yeah, can we even talk about that? Because the narrative is going to change in three hours. <laughs> Again, I'm surprised. Too late for me. I'm surprised it's I'm surprised it's two game or two two right now. Credit to Dallas. Well, when nobody scores and nothing happens, yeah, it's a coin flip every game. Yeah. Jake Ottinger's coming out party though. God, he's good. And the old man. Yeah. I'm now that I said that, I guarantee Calgary scored the second I said that. He's gonna let in six goals all tonight. It's gonna be brutal. That game is still zero zero, actually. Hell yeah, look at that. The Oilers down three two to the yeah. Kings. Loser franchises. You got to stop saying that, man, because the Red Wings have not won in a long time. And but the Red Wings are one of those teams that when they get there, they win. Like the last time they had a, what was it? The last, their last playoff run when they got, were expected to get waxed by the lightning. They did the year before they were expected to get waxed by the lightning. They took them to game seven and lost two nothing with an empty netter. Uh, the year before that, I, they lost to Boston. The year before that, they were supposed to get waxed by Chicago, uh, Anaheim in the first round, beat them, and then took the eventual cup champions, Hawks, to seven games. Detroit's not a loser franchise because when they get there, they do things. You know who else is a franchise that does that? L.A. L.A. was the team that everybody viewed as the easiest draw in the, in the first round of the playoffs based on how the regular season went. And they're up 3-2. Against Connor McDavid and Leon Dre. So I'm glad Connor got ahead of the media for once in Edmonton because he knows how ruthless they're going to be. We scored four goals. That should be a win. And in the playoffs, he's damn right. Edmonton is like the Homer meme where he looks all fit and uh, trim on the one side and on the back. He's like just tucked it all back with clothespins. Yeah. That's the Edmonton Oilers. The, the front. front is Leon Dre side on Connor McDavid. The back side is the back end. Yeah. Darnell Nurse headbutting a guy and getting suspended for a game. Yeah, my God. Uh, Mike Smith, what he let in? Five goals last night. They're deep. Duncan Keith, my. Horrendous. He got torched on that overtime winner. What a shock. Who could have seen that coming? Like My goodness. I mean, Connor, the only way Edmonton's winning anything is Connor and Leon uh, outscoring their problems. Which I think they can still do because they've done it in the series. Yeah, they did it last night and still lost. I think they said uh, they're 0-2 when Dreisaitl and McDavid both score in a game. Terrible. <laughs> like, oh my god. Oh my god, all the problems everybody saw with Edmonton all year are coming home to roost in the first round of the playoffs like everybody said would happen. Even if the Oilers come back to win this series, like... It was so predictable what was going to happen. It's still not. It doesn't get it's still any a failure. In yeah. the next round. Well, it might. Who knows if it's Dallas or Calgary. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the playoffs. Uh, I'm sure, like you said, the narrative is going to change by the time we hit publish on this and 10 times before we record the next episode on Sunday. But hey, as Steve said, change the narrative. Yep. You know, I'm going to sit here and call Florida, Edmonton, Toronto, loser franchises. Until they win. So that narrative could be dead in the next four days. Let's uh, some of those teams for some of those teams. Let's wait and see what happens. I'm sure we'll have more notable storylines by Sunday, obviously with, with these, this first round wrapping up shortly. Uh, Let's for now 
get to the last part of this episode and jump into overtime. Uh, we'll start with our Patreon supporters. Patreon is the reason this show happens. Um, your support through Patreon has been uh, incredible and has allowed us to do things like the draft lottery live stream, uh, our draft coverage, continuing this podcast twice a week, even through the off season. Uh, everything we do is because of our Patreon supporters. So patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. If you want to join the dub dub club and uh, thank you all. You're great people. We'll start with a question from Brad Stepstool, who says, what's the earliest you would select Brad Lambert? I feel like he was giving a bat, given a bad break in Liga this year, and his combination of skill and speed is very hard to top, find in the top five, let alone top eight. Yeah, that's that's the question I'm dancing through in my head right now, because that is a wild combination of skill and speed. But the results are... How many cases of players... In the NHL, have we seen of guys with all the talent and it never comes to fruition? Like, not that it's an apples to apples comparison, but I'll use one that Red Wings fans will know very well. A guy who has blazing speed, unbelievable skill, a good shot, knows for the net, and it just never fully came together in the NHL or at insert whatever level you want here. Andreas Athanasiu. You take Athanasiu in the top 10 in a redraft? Probably not. And that that looks like, to me right now, the best case for Brad Lambert because Athanasiu at least has a 30-goal season under his belt. Um, Yeah, I, I don't know. If, like Lambert's one of those guys, I like what I see. But even when I'm watching him and I see the talent, I don't see a ton of scoring chances in the puck not going in. I don't see him creating a billion chances and his teammates not t- putting it in. And the fact that he played for two different teams in Liga this year and the same thing happened on both teams doesn't ease my mind. And if I, am I not mixing? He's a late birthday for this draft too, isn't he? Uh, I want to say he's an 03. Brad Lambert is December 19th, 03. Yeah, so he's a late birthday. So he's in an extra year over a lot of these guys to put it all together and start producing. And he hasn't. I don't know. For me right now, he's probably dropping somewhere between 15 and 25. Like, um, I forget who I was reading today. Someone put it perfectly. Um, If you're a team that has two first-round picks, it is absolutely worth the gamble on your second first-round pick. I, um, with a less crowded or a less talented top 12 or so, I would be much more open to taking the risk on Brad Lambert. Not that eighth is a worthless pick, but that's not top three, top four, where you like absolutely cannot throw away that pick. You can't be throwing away top 10 picks, period, but I would be more open to Lambert if there wasn't Nazers around him, if there wasn't Caspers around him, if there wasn't LeCarrie Mackey's around him, not to mention the guys who are tiers above who could drop. You have a lot of players that will be in that range who have very similar skill sets to Brad Lambert. Small, skilled, fast, whatever you want to call it. Kemmel, Lakaramaki, Nazer, Savoy. They're all in that, whatever you want to call it, category. So if that's what you like, man, those guys have produced a hell of a lot more at different levels, but not entirely different levels. And yeah, you almost have to go with the less risk there when you're drafting basically a similar player. Okay. Uh, let's take a question from Joe Falzone here. And this is one I'm glad he asked. Uh, Cutter Goche is giving me Boldy vibes. I didn't like Boldy for his draft, but he's proven me wrong. 
Gochi wasn't a guy on my list uh, before, but Max picked him in the athletic mock draft. Do you think he can play center or would you still take Nazer, Casper, or Geeky, LOL Brad, over him? So even I would take one of the guys you said over him. Before before like the, the draft lottery results came out, we were chatting a bit and I was we said like, I think I need to go back on Cutter Gochi because I think I was too I was too harsh on him. And I thought we were pretty complimentary of him in our pre in our profile. I think I just didn't give him enough credit for potentially playing center. And I don't think Max is like, I, I think Max was making a really good point with that pick. Like that could be exactly what the Red Wings are looking for. I, I think the same things of Cutter Gauthier as I do, not necessarily the same story about Brad Lambert, where there's other guys who I think might be a tier above that could fall, but he's absolutely an option. I don't think he should be considered off the board for the Red Wings at eight. No, he's a fringy top 10 guy. And guess what? The Red Wings have a fringe top 10 pick if you want to break it down so yeah he should be in the conversation he should be there is he in my top eight right now no probably not but much like edvinson last year if he's the pick there not going to be upset about it perfectly reasonable happy with it um yeah he and he's got the nhl toolkit which is always a good starting point um rye 19 says given how badly detroit needs that center uh and let's face it there's basically zero chance to get into the top two next year would it be worth it to try and wrestle the number two pick from new jersey whose rebuild has appeared to have stalled despite two first overall picks since 2017 how much would the wings need to sacrifice to realistically get it done bertuzzi yeah bert it they would look for bert right there yeah and i'm not saying bertuzzi for the second overall pick that would be the cost with the eighth overall pick to move up and do i think that's worth it no absolutely not i don't think the gap between cooley and slavkovsky is significant enough between the guys who are going to be available between 7 and 12 to consider that now if new jersey's asking price comes in shockingly low oh fantastic yeah then why not but that's not gonna happen by the way, in future episodes, we will talk about the prospect of trading down. I know we didn't get into it a lot today. It's not really. This might be a good draft for it, honestly. If if possible, yeah, I don't hate the idea. But my short answer on this is because we know it's a good draft to trade down on. It means the talent pool is very similar in that range, which means all the teams behind Detroit know that as well. So they're like, yeah, why are we going to give you a second round pick to move up and take, you know, a guy who's 5% better? Jake Nagy says, on top of playing for the U.S. and TDP, Cutter Goche, Frank Nazer, and Rutger McRorty all played for Honey Baked in Detroit since they were U13. They were only four years old when the Wings won the Cup in 08. A scary thought. But do you think this is the year Stevie might pick a hometown kid over a European? God, please, can we not go on with this narrative? Just pick the best damn player. I hate... Like, I love when players are from Michigan and play for the Red Wings, but it should not factor into the decision at all. And to their credit, it hasn't. They've taken Cider and Raymond yeah. and Edvinson. Yeah. Great. Good. Uh, Miss Days says, Ottawa's open to trading their seventh overall pick for immediate help. I'm wondering if something could be done there to get us a second pick in the top 10. That's a steep price. I think you're moving multiple premium assets there. Again, these conversations open with, they're going to ask for Larkin. They're going to ask for Bertuzzi. They're going to ask for Verona. Some teams might ask for Hironic and I don't even think Verona gets you a top 10 pick sample size and all yeah it would be a difficult sell i don't know teams are weird man they're weird about rebuild timelines hey, dorian yeah bad gms exist yeah. yeah i would would it shock me if pierre dorian traded the seventh pick straight up for tyler bertuzzi no would most competent gms do that also no 
Um, Evans bingo card says on the athletics mock draft, there was mention of the Isles potentially shopping their first round pick number 13 for a scoring winger. Could you see there being some sort of a deal involving Burt for that pick? Absolutely. I could. That one is one that actually makes some and sense. That's to me. one. The Red Wings should absolutely explore if they do plan on trading Bertuzzi. Um, Bertimzi says between Stetcher, Glennie and Vladdy, and I guess Mantha, which former Red Wing would you be happiest to get to go all the way for the cup? I think Glenn Denning and, and Vladdy. Any guys who want to, who have paid their dues, and especially like Vladdy who's bounced around so much, and Glenn Denning who had to like, had to get those grindy minutes in, in Detroit. I, I like to see them go on and win. I'm going to say Mantha for all the unfair bullshit he took from Red Wings fans for years. Is John Merrill still on Colorado? Was he ever on Colorado? I don't know. Nemeth? Are you thinking of Nemeth? No, Nemeth? It, Nemeth was on Colorado. He's on the Rangers now. I want to say John Merrill's in minnesota minnesota ah yeah that's right yeah and yes then yes whatever whatever we're saying meryl okay uh what time do we have here let's take a couple reddit questions here calgary cheek clapper uh says and this is i think a good point that i was trying to capture earlier says as great of a of a coach as trotz is i don't think he's what this team needs philosophically what are your thoughts and what are your some current nhl coaches we can point to and say that is the type of coach detroit needs I'm saying it is okay. I, I don't I don't agree. I, I would prefer to have trots. Like I, I think he's the right coach to bring in, but I don't necessarily think it's wrong to say, yeah, this isn't the, the coach philosophically who I want. Like I don't want a coach who is going to maximize this team defensively. I want a coach who is like balls to the wall, wild offensive system. I don't agree with that, but I think that's that's the MO that people are coming in with. Okay. And I give a lot – I think the the truth is a lot closer to what you were saying earlier, which is coaches adapt, and I think we're pigeonholing Barry Trotz. Yeah. But I understand that opinion in general. Okay, that makes sense to me because I did see that a lot, and I'm like, I don't know what that means. What do you – you want a bad – because I just think that as, oh, yeah, philosophically, uh, we want to tank, so hire a bad coach. But yeah. <laughs> I, the, I mean, I think there are some people saying sty- that. Stylistically, if that's the philosophy you're coming at, sure, that's a point, not a good one. Not one I subscribe to, but yeah, that makes sense. Barry Trotz uses a size 13 font comic sans on his resume. <laughs> hey, look, if he submits that resume, but there's a cup win on it, by all means, yeah, write it in a wing if it, dings. If it's just one piece of paper scribbled in crayon, I have won this many Jack Adams and this many Stanley Cups. Okay. Um, okay, there's a lot of really great questions here, but for the sake of time, it's past 11 p.m. Let's take one more. Nerf Airstrike Commander says, of the players expected to be in the 5 to 10 range or simply in Detroit's range in general, who right now would you be most meh about taking? I have a hard time finding a player with a red flag, whether it's the team's positional surplus or character, unless Lambert's issues are as serious as some people say. So meh, meaning I'm not angry, yeah, but I'm not like jumping over the moon. Yeah. Ooh, that's a good question. The, the ah, it's okay. Pick Minchikov. A def- you know what? A defenseman who's not Yurichek or Nemich right now. I would. I'll probably come as a as a look at them a little bit more seriously because I haven't too much. Those would be. Those would be the least sexy picks, especially when you have like a potential Savoy coming down, right? Yeah, it's like okay, he's a lefty. I he's good, not my favorite player in that area, but but he's good. Okay, yeah, that, that's probably my answer. Maybe Lakaramaki. 
if you want to go forward, like, yeah, okay, I get it. Lars would like to know your location. I'm not saying I'd be upset about it. Yeah. Just be like, okay. Okay, we're going to wrap this up. We're going to get into our Patreon exclusive overtime so Evan can tell us his golf story. Uh, we'd like to thank all of you for tuning in. Next episode is on Sunday. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. Any new listeners, welcome to the show. Uh, promise they're not always recorded so late at night. Um, to listeners, uh, long time, we appreciate you. The sponsors of this podcast, the FanDuel Sportsbook, and all of our Patreon supporters, thank you so much. Our name-level supporters, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, the Stay Fresh Cheese Bag, Nick Perks, Brett Bailey, Terry Driver of the number 69 crying, Ryan Hannes Banana Slam and Jamathong, and his ungodly body pillow collection. Matthew M. Rice. Um, Brandon, I'm still not going to read that. Bettman should lose his job based on the Yotes. Changed my mind. Billy Howell, Brandon M., Carl, Brutana, Nanaluski, Cheesebag, Chimmy, Citizen High Five, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Craig Kibble, Daniel Garcia, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hana Lee, Hassam Al Qasem, I'd Leave My Wife for Cider, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kalen Wood, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Marcus, Matt McKay, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Sean Levine, Stay Fresh Greech Bags, Zach Spring, Sam Bankson, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Adam, Now I Finish Better Than Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landiscog, Ben Barron, Big Chungus, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Evans Parking Garage, Evans Bingo Card, Jeremy, uh, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, Jeremy Brocker, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, Matt S, Missing Vladdy More Than Ever, Papa Woody, Puck Norris, Revy DeLuca, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, The Thing in the Distance That Evan Is Staring At, Trevor Pevovar, Zach Handyside, and Zach McCann, a driving range superstar. What are you staring at in the distance? Sleep. The Void. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.